Hey, Autumn. Hey, Jeremy. Do you remember the time that Louis and Lestat worked together and created a child vampire? Yeah. Do you want to do a podcast on it? Hell yeah. Jeremy. I'm Autumn. And this is Dead Blood Club. A soft goth podcast about Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. And today we are continuing in our through our journey of interview with the vampire. We're in the second section. Uh, the notes in, excuse me, the, the there's information in the show notes that will tell you what chapters specifically if you want to read along with the podcast. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for everybody. There's just a whole lot of sad, sad vampires happening in this. <laughs> Uh, Taking a step back, this is where we're at right now. In the previous chapters, we saw Louis go through a a family tragedy when maybe he didn't listen to his brother uh, as well as he could have. Uh, Then we saw Louis get turned into a vampire by the mesmerizing Lestat. And finally, we saw them uh, burn down their plantation and flee to New Orleans. We did, as a matter of fact. Just they just burned it down like they didn't have a care in the world. What are they going to say to the leasing company that's been managing that whole thing? They're going to be mad. <laughs> that guy that shows up for work the next day, like the the overkeep, like the senior guy, like mm-hmm. it's got to be like in Arrested Development when they burn down the banana stand, right? Yeah. Like, just... <laughs> There's always money in the plantation. Let's <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> I told you this. Why didn't you listen to me? Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is the second episode. We're recording some of these um, ahead of time so that we can. Uh, kind of stay on a really good schedule so hopefully everybody has enjoyed the first episode we've only let a a couple of people listen to it so far and the feedback has been positive uh but i do want to say like if it's a since it's a new show the best thing that can you can do to help us out is to leave an itunes review um if a bunch of people do that at once then we get bumped up into the charts see this is how i know that you're an experienced podcaster and i'm kind of more of a neophyte because i I, it never occurs to me to do any admin (laughs) you just want to get here talk about the stuff and then leave (laughs) last episode i had to stop her from leaving the room i was like no no we have to we have to tell everybody where we're at on twitter come on this is the way these things work it doesn't just get magically edited and appear on the internet that's what's always happened before when i've guessed it yep yep that's that's the magic of cole ross right there um well st- take us in what are we where are we starting so we're we're sitting here and louis kind of taking a pause in his story he's having some conversations with daniel the the interviewer um one thing here, we mentioned in the last episode that Louis is kind of kind of flirtatious. You know, he's a charmer. He is completely oblivious right here to the fact that I think our our boy Daniel's fallen a little bit in love. It's not hard to do. I mean, I mean, Louis the way he's laying this out is very much the hero of the story, and he's very much a, uh, a, a tragic romantic figure. There's like he's practically like batting his eyes at Louis though. Like at one point, um, he kind of puts his hands in his pockets and he turns to Louis and he says, "Will you please go on?" <laughs> in kind of a breathless fashion. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Louis does indeed go on. Uh, Louis's a bit of a hot mess emotionally and I, I guess even spiritually after everything that went down with his um, his tragic unrequited um, and probably unrealistic love for, for Babette, that whole re- uh, rejection that she um, visited upon him after the um, flight from the plantation is it's, it's weighing heavy on our boy Louis. Yeah, and this is kind of a, an uneasy truce between Louis and Lestat. Like, they obviously have to hang out together. They're, you know, creator and created. Uh, so Louis doesn't really have anybody else to talk to. But there's this huge kind of gulf between them, the biggest of which is that Lestat is still feeding on humans, and Louis has not moved up from rats and dogs. <laughs> how much would you, just like in, and we can say like 2018 figures here, how much would you pay to watch Louis drink a dog or a rat? Like, I'd, I'd pay $10 to do that. Like, I'd, like if I just walking by and it's like a hat down, I throw a ten dollar bill and it'd be like, all right, do the thing, monkey man. Wasn't that just the whole premise of the Geek Show, like for traveling circuses in the like thirties and forties? <laughs> I, guess, I like, guess so. Yeah. We'll we'll hand Louis a chicken. Yes. He'll yeah. drink it. I have ju- I have literally just invented the sideshow. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, P. T. Barnum's Vampire Circus. Um, but yeah, Louis Lestat is out there hunting like he normally does with the kind of rich young men, and Louis is still very fucked up about killing humans. I I kind of wonder. I mean, obviously, Louis is subsisting pretty well. Uh, depression subside, uh, depression aside on the, the rats and dogs. It's got to be kind of like when one of your friends goes like keto or something and they're constantly telling you, like, I'm losing so much weight. I'm shredded right now. You got to try this. Like, you think Louis <laughs> trying to like, I don't think we see Louis try to convince Lestat to stop drinking people. <laughs> is this that joke? Um, how do you know that a vegan, a CrossFit guy and a vampire all walk into a bar because they can't shut up about it? <laughs> Apologies to all my vampires out here. CrossFit people get fucked, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think that there was a vampire contingent that was listening to this podcast and just totally getting it. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They, we, we need to we need to tra- change them. <laughs> you know, I think they'd be probably be thinking the opposite. They'd probably. Be like, so, yeah, they'd be we like, do not need to give these people eternal life. They just don't life. get it. Like, They're way past their prime. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about in the last one. I, I, I do want to, you know, get a little bit more fit. Sure, yeah. You, I, need, I need at least a month and a half to two months to prepare. <laughs> uh, what am I kidding? I'll just be lazy about it. Yeah. I try to cram it all in in the last like six days. Oh, yeah, I'd be absolutely. like, I'm just going to starve myself. Like try to get vampire skinny. So, uh, it's in this situation, uh, Lestat very much wants to die. No, excuse me. Louis very much wants to die. Like he's, he is, he is regretting all of the decisions he's made since he's met Lestat. Uh, he's, he's just not a very happy boy, but he, when he wakes up and he has this thirst, this unquenchable, impossible to ignore thirst, which is his literal desire to live. Uh, and he can't ignore it. He's kind of hit like an emotional rock bottom. Um, yeah. This is somebody where, where Catholicism is it's not really working out real well with Louis carrying some of those burdens into the afterlife. And uh, we, we get into this, this scene here where Louis finds um, basically an extremely sick family um, and just kind of comes in and there's this child, this like five-year-old. Yeah, who's climbing all over her, her dead mother. Yes. Uh, and, and the setting here is that there was there were a lot of diseases running around the, the poorer parts of New Orleans, as you might imagine. It was a you know, a shipping port. So we had immigrants from all over the place coming in and bringing all sorts of crazy stuff with them. So like this was, this was running rampant. Uh, this kind of thing was running rampant. Yeah, I, I, that, that's what the, all the tourist t-shirts said, right? I spent six <laughs> months in a shitty tenement and yeah. all I got was yellow fever. <laughs> yeah. Luckily they invented Mardi Gras. So <laughs> it's still cool. Um, but, uh, I, I re- re- rereading this, uh, 
and we've talked about this. I haven't read these books since I was probably a teenager, if not like my very early twenties. Um, and rereading this, it struck me just how weird this is. Like you have what has to be a very well-dressed dude kind of roaming around in an existential crisis mode, stumbling into this house with this five-year-old and then proceeding to like not be able to resist the call of this five-year-old's blood. Uh, it's very, and, 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 and rice leans into it with the, with the descriptions. So it's, it's very like vividly drawn. We'll, we'll talk about the movie in a separate future episode, but I think a lot of people that might've seen the movies and have not read the book, um, they did age up Claudia, um, the, the little girl that we're meeting right now, even though we haven't heard her name yet, they do age her up for the movie just because they needed somebody with the acting chops to um you know pretend to be a 70 year old vampire child they, um, they needed young autumn is what they needed <laughs> unfortunately they got young kirsten dunst <laughs> but um i mean this is a, a five-year-old girl that that's a that's a pretty tiny child um she's I mean, she's she's climbing all over her dead mother. She's crying. She's actually begging for help. She's she's got a whole tragic backstory. Um, I think the quote is, "They had to take a ship." She said. She said before the plague came, their father was waiting. She began to shake her mother now and to cry in the most pathetic and desperate way. And she looked at me again and burst into the greatest flow of tears. This isn't a scene that makes me real hungry. No, not at all. Like that must be some sweet, sweet young blood. Um, I, I just like, and this seems, this is one of these things that Louis does sometimes that really aggravates me, which is in trying to avoid something bad, he does something incredibly worse, which is drink a five-year-old girl. Like no matter what her family life is, no matter what her life experience is up to this point, she's a five-year-old girl, Louis, don't drink her. Like you have your choice of prostitutes, both male and female in New Orleans in this time, in the time period, go after them. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the keto metaphor is, um, be- better than I thought. Like Lestat's been telling Louis. Like, Louie, you got to drink some people, buddy. You like, you can't keep this people. up. And Louie, like, the first time he sees a carb, it just goes insane. It was crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's 17 McDonald's burgers deep, and he doesn't know how to stop himself. It's like it's like he runs into, because, I mean, this is tragic, but it's like a, like a cake at a funeral. He's like, wow, this is a really sad, sad event here, but damn that cake looks good and i haven't again had a carb in weeks <laughs> the um what is the show where that we watched with the guy who um he's he has like an eating disorder but he's every once in a while it comes through but it surprises you when he found out that he has an eating disorder i don't know oh it was i know what i'm thinking of um it's will ferrell in uh the office when he took over the office from michael for there for a while oh that's and right he's just shoveling like handfuls of cake into his mouth god damn <laughs> yeah that's basically that's basically louis it's basically louis point. at this point and as you might imagine uh if when you're at your your, your lowest of the low and you can't resist that sweet sweet heartbeat of a <laughs> again of a five-year-old girl uh yeah your, your boy finds you. Lestat stumbles in and sees you and is just entirely too pleased with this whole situation. Lestat loves this. I have to say, you know, Lestat's being pretty, pretty passive aggressive here. Like he's just, you know, like, oh, look who drank a little kid. Wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I would be ex- I would be doing exactly like we're I mean, we're creatures of the dark. We're inherently evil. Like if such a thing as evil exists, we are that yeah. like, I, oh, yeah, like a little condescension isn't going to b- 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 bother me at all. <laughs> like oh, I'm going to I'm going to make him feel bad a little bit. Look at Mr. Morals over here. Had that little kid taste, bro. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's fucking crazy, man. Like it, you don't you don't want to just eat a person, so you're gonna go right to the the five year old orphan who just watched her mom die. And Anne Rice, she devotes a lot of a lot of pages and words to describing. Uh, how great this little girl's heartbeat is yeah yeah he is he is really in tune with this he has to stop himself at one point or unless he gets drawn in like he did the first night he was feeding um do we need to get into the uh and rice claudia stuff how this was kind of like a um a what's the word i'm looking for we had we had mentioned at the beginning the inspiration of this or we had mentioned it in the first episode the inspiration for the claudia character Anne rice had lost her daughter to leukemia a few years before she began this this novel um and the the idea of a, a little girl that would live forever was very compelling to to Anne rice at that point in her in her grief i can imagine like the the child the perfect child that is perfect forever and never grows up and never has problems and is i can imagine that being a very beguiling thing as you're as you're writing this out um but it's and as as this book will later explore not necessarily we, we won't get to it in this episode but um it's kind of a horrible curse oh, yeah. <laughs> especially for a young woman yeah. it's a very not even a young woman excuse me like especially for a small child so um since Lestat has stumbled upon louis um doing this terrible act and he's um commenced a, a good solid roasting of louis um louis doesn't actually finish killing this little girl um Lestat's mocking him louis he gets pissed off, um, and he actually tries to, to kill Lestat, um, fighting him, um, and again, leaving this little girl clinging to life on the, the floor. Good job. Didn't even kill her. Now she has to be, now she has to suffer through all of this. Um, the next, the next, I almost said the next morning, but that's not how vampires work. <laughs> the next night they wake up, uh, and Louis is kind of surprised to see that Lestat is up dressed and entertaining. He's got two sex workers in the room, um, that he is kind of, uh, toying with yeah. this for whatever reason, I think is like one of the most memorable scenes of the movie to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this was what I was kept looking for in the book. Like there's a lot of stuff that's in, in this book that I remember pretty vividly. And it's weird that I, when I'm rereading it, I'm like, Oh yeah, this was the part in the movie. And that's why I remember it, it so well. It's hard to film when a book is probably 70% Louis's um, ongoing mental struggles and complex emotional life. It's kind of hard to put that on the page. And this is one of the few scenes that they, they just lay out verbatim from the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to to note in here, um, we're talking about some some pretty heavy stuff, and Louis kind of going through and explaining why he drank this little girl. Um, he he actually says to the reporter, and I hadn't picked this up when I read this when I was younger to the to the interviewer that he's he's being dishonest. Like the the vampire is like, is this too much to talk about? And Louis clearly says, well, if if I held something too close for you to ask about it, I wouldn't bring it up in the first place. Which tells you because we see these moments where Louis kind of struggling and frowning while he's telling this. There's there's some stuff that Louis leaving out in this whole thing. And I mean, who wouldn't when you were being interviewed? Kind of well, I mean, the reason that I did this horrible thing. You got to understand where I was coming from. I mean, it's like it's like listening to like a serial killer confession when they're like, well, I mean, you know, with that tragic upbringing I had. (laughs) Or maybe he just doesn't want to give it all up to the National Enquirer. (laughs) Right. Like maybe maybe this just needs to be a uh, (laughs) bad boys, complex inner emotional life. (laughs) <laughs> but um, like you said, Lestat's up. He's um, he's feasting on um, to these these two well dressed um, these well dressed women, these sex workers, um, and and Louis kind of kind of spying on them a little bit while um, Lestat kills one of them and leaves the other one alive. And at this point, Lestat's just toying with this this living woman. Absolutely, uh, and the the scene here is is him kind of going back and forth between each one and literally killing one of them, drinking one of them, but it 
looks so much as if he is just, you know, getting some sweet, sweet neck meat that the other one isn't concerned. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah, Lestat is mad sweet on that neck meat. <laughs> he is. Um, and it's, you know, this, it, like everyone's drinking, like they're, 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 they're real wine drunk. So like everybody's having a good time. This is a, this is a whole party that turns really macabre halfway through. And, and you know what it is, is I, I kind of feel like here Lestat's acting out a little bit. You know, you've hit a point in your relationship, you're fighting, you're distant, you're cold. I kind of think that Lestat... <laughs> your partner kills a five-year-old almost. <laughs> <laughs> You watch. <laughs> exactly. Then you rag on him for a while. He, he probably keeps bringing it up over the next few weeks, too. Like, Louis, like, can you can you pick up, like, your clothes? You're leaving them on the floor? And he's like, you left your clothes on the floor last night when you killed that five-year-old child, huh? <laughs> but um, Louis says to Lestat, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm done here. We're, we're mm-hmm. done uh, after this, um, this spectacle. I mean, this is rough. Like at one point, Lestat like shoves this um, sex worker into a coffin and is like, you're dead, girl. And she's screaming. I mean, it's. Yeah, you're dead. This is hell. Like this is like he is actively toying and kind of torturing this poor woman. And, and Louis dying because Louis, he's, he's soft on humans. He really is. Well, he's soft on women in general, but yeah. he's also soft on humans as a secondary. Uh, Louis does not like does not like the situation at all and he's 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 almost mystified as to why Lestat is doing this like he just doesn't understand any of Lestat's motivations here and it's because he's he's had his head stuck up his ass for most of this book or for most of this time his time with Lestat or else he'd probably have a fucking clue (laughs) (laughs) but but Louis makes this big declaration that he's absolutely gonna leave Lestat for real this time like it's over and Lestat comes back with oh I thought as much and I thought as well that you would make a big flowery announcement tell me what a monster I am what a vulgar fiend which again is what makes me think that Lestat set this up just to again bring about a confrontation with Louis and wake Louis up a little bit yeah absolutely yeah this is this is Lestat just poking at the uh poking at the bear almost and just trying to get something because now he's seen Louis actually lose control and I think that's what Lestat wants him to do so that he can because he's hanging on to his humanity too much uh, even though he doesn't have any, he's he's trying to hold on to this like moral system, and I think Lestat at this point even explains that that doesn't exist. Like there is no, like they are above morals and they're above good and evil. And um, Louis comes back with, "I make no judgment on you. I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in my own nature now. I can't trust you to tell me the truth about it." Um, it just it reminds me of uh, well, we mentioned Arrest Development earlier. It's like when Michael takes the moral high ground on his entire family, and he like threatens to move to Phoenix. He's like, <laughs> "I'm done with you guys. You guys are out of control. I'm taking my shit and I'm moving to Phoenix." What's George the, Michael, get in the car. What's the most important thing? Family. No breakfast. <laughs> so you have to eat this eat this person that I brought to our house <laughs> um so basically lestat's urging louis to embrace his vampire nature and louis just can't do it Lestat's trying to get through to him that he's not going to be able to live among humans anymore he points out that he he tried it with babette and um babette's babette's reaction to louis I, I, he's trying mean, he, he's actually kind of trying here he's trying to get louis to acknowledge that animal blood doesn't satisfy him you were happy when you drank that little girl come on do the thing like you gotta you gotta commit like you can't be half a vampire um, and, and he goes on to explain, and I think this is an interesting uh, 
kind of turn because Louis, through up to this point, has been asking questions about the vampire nature, secrets. Like Louis believes that there are there are abilities that he has or secrets that he needs to learn that Lestat is holding back from him. Um, and he and he talks about you know there has to be other vampires out there, and Lestat just basically tells him like, what do you mean other vampires? Like they're no, they they're, they're killers just like I am and just like you should be. Like if you go with this attitude to another vampire, you're just going to get slaughtered. Like I don't none of this makes sense louie just be a damn vampire and come kill some people with me we've got new orleans this is great territory mm-hmm. and lestat i think he he kind of opens up a little bit he's like look I'm, I'm not as well learned as you mm-hmm. i haven't read as many books as you but i'm not stupid and if you keep going down this path it's it's just gonna end in in sorrow for you um lestat uh, there's one moment in there where he's I feel like Lestat here is really trying to communicate with Louis. I mean, these are the biggest blocks of text that we get or the biggest speeches that we get from Lestat. But he's like, I expected you to feel these things instinctively. When I when I helped you kill the first guy, I thought you would want to keep killing. I, but you're you're weak, Louis. I mean, he literally says that. You're weak. Like, I, I love this line right here. I'd watch you playing shadow in the night, staring at the falling rain, and I'd think, he's easy to manage. He's simple. <laughs> Ouch. You're a Mark, Louie. That's what I made you. That's what he made you. I, this is really great for Mustat. Like, I feel like, uh, the, 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 especially the line about, I expected you to instinctually learn this stuff, like, obviously there's there's a there's two kinds of vampires right there's the people there's the vampire that gets their powers and then just goes crazy with it like what can i do what are my limits and then there's louis who immediately gets super depressed about being a vampire and just like mopes around eating rats all day and so lestat has to be incredibly frustrated at this dude because i mean he's a dad and a weird kind of homosexual overtoned weird way but he created louis obviously because he wanted you know there was some comfort with his dad and there were some like some riches that he was he was kind of angling towards but also he's probably pretty fucking lonely he just wanted a partner to go out and kill people with and then he has louis the saddest partner of them all i mean you think you find the perfect lover i mean he's handsome he's Mm -hmm, got a plantation mm -hmm. you turn him into a vampire at first it seems to be going great and then I, I, I guess Lestat, Lestat wasn't expecting to do so much emotional labor. But, I, I mean, Lestat is really trying here. Like, they're they're walking down the street having this conversation. Like, they're, they're, Lestat's trying. And all the while, um, Lestat has been kind of goading Louis, and that's the reason they're on the street. Uh, he he gave him just a smile. He, he, he was able to get Louis to drink a little bit of one of the sex workers, so he kind of woke up his, his human craving, or not, excuse me, his craving for human blood. And so they're out on the streets, and Lestat is leading him somewhere while they're having this conversation. And Louis is so mentally confused, and this happens a lot with Louis, that when he has like more than four or five thoughts happening in his brain at one time, he just kind of ignores the outside world just to deal with these one or two or four or five thoughts like yeah. he's he's a very single-minded person yeah. uh so he's being led to surprise the orphanage where this little girl is yeah yeah so lestat goes in and um in a i mean again lestat's good at manipulating everybody he pretends to be the little girl's dad and picks her up and i mean it's not the modern era they don't ask for any any id or anything like that they're like oh great there's a rich guy here to take care of you you should go with him exactly. you've got a 55 50 shot of this being either really good or really bad and it's definitely going to be really bad here <laughs> and lestat's a snappy dresser you know like yeah. look, at, look at that guy's brocade sleeves sure he's probably not interested in you we've seen his type <laughs> So he um, carries her back to to the hotel where they're staying to their apartments, um, and then he 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 really like 
puts the screws to Louie. He's like, come on, just do it. Just finish her off. Finish off this little five-year-old girl. Um, and Louis, Louis goes for it again. Yeah. He can't. He just can't resist. Like, for all of this moral high ground, for all of this philosophizing, for all of this back and forth about the nature of good and evil, as soon as you put a kid in front of him, he's like, okay, cool, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like strawberry milkshakes, but if you told me a child had to die every time I drank one, I probably wouldn't drink them anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Louis, th- again, probably. Pro- probably thinks he has that moral high ground. Like, you know, I've just been drinking rats for six months. Well, Louis, you're killing a kid. <laughs> you had to know that was wrong. You had to know that was wrong, Louis. <laughs> um, so Louis starts uh basically drinking her and is it's almost impossible to stop and we, we go on for or excuse me Anne rice goes on for quite some time about the strength of claudia's heart how it won't stop beating like the others have and it just draws him in deeper and deeper and gets him more and, it, and he just he can't pull back he can't stop himself from from drinking her and while this is going on lestat makes the decision to um well, I mean, what what's the best way to save a, a a marriage or a relationship where where things are kind of falling a lot apart? Is it's to have a child? It's to have a child together, of oh, course. Yeah, absolutely. It's the one thing that you guys can agree that you'll have to take care of all the time. So <laughs> it adds basically no responsibility to the yeah, marriage. There's absolutely no chance that there's a transfer of affection away from the the partner whose idea mm-hmm. was. And and uh, I mean, there's no way that they could grow more distant it, from that. It, you know, it doesn't work for anybody else. But maybe it could work for them. <laughs> so Lestat proceeds to cut his wrist open um, and force Claudia to, to drink his blood. And well, this, I say force. Just offer it. She's all in. She is 100% in. She, she, it almost, Lestat almost has a problem because she won't let go. She wants to drink all of him. And he's a little bit terrified at that prospect, which I think is really interesting. Like, we, we, didn't, we haven't seen this. We haven't seen Lestat be scared very often. It is probably the first moment that we've seen Lestat actually be scared. Because even when they were trapped in Babette's plantation um, and they didn't know what was about to happen, I mean, he wasn't scared. He was just pissed. He's like, let's drink all these motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried. About, I can handle this situation the only reason i haven't is because i'm trying to have some respect for your decisions yeah. <laughs> again wasn't my idea to drink my way through um louisa may alcott's little women but sure. y- you do you um but yeah claudia almost doesn't let go finally he kind of pulls her um off of him and then everybody just takes a nap <laughs> <laughs> Um, when she wakes up, Louis asks for her mother, and then Lestat starts to explain to her, and this really... S- Claudia asks for her mother. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Louis was probably asking for somebody's mother. I mean, I'm sure. Like, that's what he was doing over there in the he's corner. He's like, you got any more kids I can drink? But um, <laughs> Lestat explains to her in this really, like, creepy, sinister way, like this kind of perverse way to talk to a child, like, where are your, your parents now? Louis was going to leave us, but he was going to go away, but now he's not. Because he wants to stay and take care of you. Yeah, Louis uh, Lestat is, is is not being a super cool person here. Also, uh, I, I've got a real bad case of child blindness because uh, I have brothers and sisters, but it's it's been a long time since I've been around small kids, so I have no idea what like what kind of thoughts or opinions or conversation that a five-year-old could handle and it just doesn't seem like because in my mind it's definitely the movie version who's which seems like a nine or a ten-year-old like kind of on that cusp of really being able to understand stuff and then like for it to be for it to be a literal five-year-old and to you know just start straight up asking for her mommy i like what (laughs) 
<laughs> it blows me away. Like, why Why would you do this, Lestat? Yeah. And Lestat's explaining to her, he's like, oh, no, no, you're you're our daughter now. And Louis in the background is saying, you bastard, you fiend, you son of a bitch. And he's like, whoa, 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 language. You're talking in front of our daughter. Lestat is having entirely way too much fun about, with this whole process. And it's, it, there's a moment, too, that I really like when um, they're about to, to, to get up in those coffins for the evening when he's like, you're our daughter. Now, now who should you sleep with? Should you sleep with Louis or me? And he's like, perhaps you should sleep with Louis. When I'm tired, I'm not very kind. I mean, he's a terrifying monster at this moment. Oh, yeah. And this is some of the best Lestat, I think, is in, in this book uh, because he is so very scary. And this is the point where you realize like he is capable of of almost anything as long as it serves his motivations which is usually to keep louis under his thumb in some way and worse he's good at it this actually works like this is gonna this is going to go on for like 65 years or something like they're all gonna live in this little family unit which is creepy and bad but here we are (laughs) (laughs) i think the the big point in all of this is that louis Louis doesn't consider the consequences at any point in the book so far, and even moving forward of what his being so passive results in. I mean, Louis's not the one that turned the little girl to the vampire, but he didn't make any move aside from saying, oh, you son of a bitch, a few times to, to stop Lestat. I mean, the, we saw him intervene in the case of um, Babette's brother, but Louis, he just floats along while things happen around him and, um, again, suffers all these consequences, but makes n- no effort to stop any of it. No, not not at all. Which is, I think, the major problem that I have with Louis. I mean, we let's be honest. Like we we've, we're two episodes deep into this podcast, where uh, and we have been dogging on our boy Louis. Louis does get better over this as the series progresses, but right now he is just the world's worst baby vampire. So I think we have to we have to we have to dunk on him a little bit throughout this. Yeah. Um. And and you're right that that passivity that that inability to speak up for himself or barely other people. Uh. He could have at any point I think stopped this from happening, or he could have just killed the child. And now. Now, instead of having the child dead and probably better off than you ever would have been anyway, now she has been turned into an immortal five-year-old, which has a whole host of problems, as as we'll see throughout the rest of the book. Well, I mean, just thinking it on the surface without even what happens next in the book, I mean, this is a vampire that's never going to be able to live on their own. She can't go rent an apartment. Yeah, there's no way that happens. I mean, you've got to be 25 to rent a car. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This exact thing happens in um, Cowboy Bebop, which can't come along came along much later. Where a little kid has is he's a, he's basically immortal, and he has to find and kind of coerce dudes to be his uh, you know his his patsy so that he can rent a car, so that he can rent an apartment or do whatever. It's like one of those like monkey's paw kind of things. Like you're like, okay, so you're telling me I'm going to live forever, but every time I go to Applebee's, I'm going to need a booster seat. <laughs> God, that's the worst. <laughs> you have no idea what's been on those booster seats. They're not clean. And you know, based on what we've seen with Lestat so far, every time they rolled up in Applebee's, you know, he'd be a big ham bone, even if she was like 50 at this point. Like, hey, she's going to need a children's menu. Wink, wink. No one, no one Lestat, who's probably going to uh, drink one of the waitresses and then dress up like her and then come and wait wait on the table for him. This <laughs> yeah. is some kind of weird, like, joke. <laughs> yeah, I'll have the, the riblet and chicken finger basket, and then I'd also like to meet you out back so I can drink you. Um... This is so. Th- this is going to be a relatively short episode of the podcast. Uh, the way we d- divided up the book, we want to give a lot of focus to when Claudia actually becomes a vampire in their life as a as, as a family together. Uh, and if we had done that along with this, I think we would have been in like an hour and a half or two hour episode. So we didn't quite want to want to make that length. So we we just have this small slim chapter for you this time. Um, 
but yeah, we. It, I, I think the the next episode as we get real into the Claudia stuff is going to be some some super fascinating stuff. Claudia, I think the the next part of the book is effectively Claudia's story. She's the the major focus of the rest of the book. I mean, I think she's one of the strongest characters in the book. I mean, so it's definitely deserved. Um, Louis kind of notes when he changes her that her body is going to be forever frozen in this shape. I mean, she's going to be a five year old child forever, but. Um, I guess, unfortunately for her, her her mind is still going to have the capacity to to grow, which is interesting. Like, there's a there's a question of biology there to me, of you know, as you mature as a as a as a physical person, you know, does your does your brain capacity grow, and are you able to learn more and nuanced things, or is it just literally just a time thing? Like, if you're frozen in that body and your brain can't change, like, but she still becomes what she becomes. Like, that's that's kind of an interesting thing question for me. And I, for one, can't wait to talk a little bit more about oh, Claudia. Hold on. I got to flip the tape again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Dead Blood Club. I'm Jeremy Greer. I'm Autumn Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. Both of those tweet- Twitters will have our uh, other projects retweeted on them. Uh, if you were interested in the sound of my voice, you can go to monsteroftheweek.cool. Uh, that's where we, I cover um, Cowboy Bebop. I cover the Witcher books. I cover the Supernatural TV show with my buddy Chris. And there's a Patreon associated with that. Autumn, you're on, you're on other podcasts as well. Um, I'm also on occasionally Radio Free Midworld, a Duck Feed podcast about Stephen King's uh, Dark Tower series. And of course, you can always find this podcast on Twitter at, at Dead Blood Club. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.